What's up? What's good? War Eagle Auburn fam. This is Barning Knight here with Barning Knight's Roundtable, and this is the first episode of what I hope to make a weekly series of podcasts covering all things Auburn, college sports whenever there's big enough news, uh, and recruiting especially. So the first thing I want to start with today is kind of a farewell to Gus Malzahn. I think that it's extremely exciting times whenever you get rid of a coach and you are looking for a new one. However, I think the Auburn fan base is divided. If you were on social media at all yesterday, if you look at the forums at all, this has been a split issue ever since, honestly, I mean, years. It's it's two, three years of people debating whether or not it was time and the powers that be have decided it was. So for those fans who are upset, those fans that are kind of sad about Gus going, I understand it. And I think it's important that we don't discredit this group of the fan base. I think these people are well-intentioned, but I think they need to understand both sides are. Whether you wanted to keep Gus or whether you wanted to get rid of Gus, I think that everybody wants the best for Auburn and Auburn football. Now, that being said, if you look at the player reactions today uh, and even last night, it's obvious that Gus is a player's coach. You hear this term all the time, but he's definitely somebody that the players connected to. He's someone that they always fought for. They never really gave up on. And that's great. Really. I mean, truly it is myself. I coach football and I coach wrestling. And I think I would likely be described as a player's coach as well. And the bond you make with players, people don't understand this, especially in college sports. You are spending so much time with these athletes. It's insane. Seriously. It's you're, they have weightlifting and you're there and you're around and you're monitoring and you're talking with the kids and joking with them about PRs and all this other stuff. You're at practice with them. You know, you meet them on the recruiting trail. You've been in their homes. They've been in your home. Seriously. It's, it's such a bond at the college level People don't understand that there's so much time spent together. They really become a family. Seriously, you hear it from so many teams. It comes off as cliche, but there's no better way to describe it but family. Now, going along with that, I think it's important to understand that with family, it's kind of like a divorce. Seriously, with Auburn and Gus being our parents. Now, some of you aren't happy about the divorce because, you know, you love Gus and you're a little upset with Auburn for making the decision, but you got to understand Gus wasn't holding up his vows, you know, and especially when you're getting $7 million to hold up those vows, you know, there's some higher expectations. And as a coach, you know that, you know, when you sign that contract for seven plus million a year and you're one of the top five paid coaches in the country, that means there's top five expectations. Now, let's look at where Auburn currently is ranked. We are unranked. We are unranked, and we're sitting at what I believe, what, six and four? I mean, guys, what do you do with that? You're unranked at six and four. I know it's a weird year, but everyone's playing under those same circumstances. You're unranked at six and four. Your recruiting class is currently sitting at 41st. I mean, uh, where, where, how is that top five money? Seriously, how is that top five money? It's not. And that's why the divorce happens. Now, some of you are making me think this is a civil war. There's such strong opinions on both sides about whether or not this is the correct decision. 
But, you know, the side that that thinks it's the wrong decision, they're looking like John Wilkes Booth. They're out for blood. They want to attack these people who are excited about finding a new coach. You know, they want to criticize every possible coaching candidate and bring up every flaw. Well, here's the fact. There's a flaw in every single coaching candidate. Every single one. Seriously. I mean, there is. There's no flaw that can't be found in anybody that anyone brings up. Nick Saban, right? We can all agree whether we love him or hate him. I know he coaches for the rival, but Nick Saban is likely the best college football coach in the history of the sport. Seriously. Now, you can talk about how he got there and all this other stuff. But the thing is, even if we wanted to pick Nick, next thing you know, people are talking about, well, we'd have to pay the buyout from Alabama. And then, you know, we'd have to pay him a high salary in between Gus's buyout and Saban's buyout and blah, 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 blah. You know, you can find the argument in anyone. One of the arguments I keep hearing is like, well, Gus beat this guy or Gus did X that this guy didn't do. Well, guess what? Nick Saban in his first year lost Louisiana Monroe. Do you think that Louisiana Monroe goes, oh, yeah, no, we don't want Saban because, you know, that coach that we had beat him. So, you know, we obviously had the better coach. No, that's not how it works, guys. It's way more in depth than that. And it is a gamble. There's a there's a great chance, unfortunately, there's a great chance that some people are going to be able to say, I told you so, whenever whoever we bring in isn't necessarily a 12-0 and every year, nothing but national championships guy. Seriously. I mean, there's people who are, are literally just setting this up right now, and it's okay. It's okay. I understand all sides, but I think it's important that we do take a moment to just kind of appreciate Gus for what he did. We say thank you. You know, he's still kind of our dad, even though they've divorced. We'll always still love him. I hope he retires in Auburn. I hope that he keeps a house there. He can keep his hurry up, no huddle wall, and Christine keep her theater. And, you know, I hope one day him and Chiswick and Tubbs are all neighbors just talking about the good old days. That's great. Look at how Auburn's embraced Pat Dye over the years. Seriously. I mean, the guy has is a legend. He's lived there. He's had his own radio interviews. The guy still packs out a store whenever he was trying to, you know, do signatures and autographs. I mean, Auburn treats its former head coaches fantastically, and I don't think many would argue against that. Seriously. So with that being said, I do think it's time to move on. Uh, you know, we can talk another time about why we moved on, all this other stuff that's been discussed ad nauseum at this point. You know, you're either with or against Gus. And I don't think that any segment on here is really going to change your mind on whether or not it was the right decision. I just think, uh, you know, the short of it is when you're stagnant, when you're not improving, you're not showing visible growth, which comes in the wins and loss columns. And when you're averaging four losses a year and not even averaging, I mean, it's exactly four or more every single year. And so anyway, but let's talk about who the candidates to replace Gus are. Okay. And I'm going to go from least likely to most likely. So stay with me. I know these first few names aren't going to be exciting. They're not going to get you jazzed up. But again, I'm trying to do least likely to most likely. And I'm only including coaches that I've heard verifiable information that are being considered. And by verifiable, I mean the guys that have been correct on predicting us to be fired yesterday, uh, way ahead of time even. The guys who have been right on 
which candidates we've actually stopped, talked with. But this is the information I'm going to give you. I'm paring it down. You don't have to read through 40 pages on a message board. You don't have to scroll through Twitter and figure out who's trolling and who's not. This is the straightforward, honest-to-goodness truth. The first candidate, and again, we're going from least likely to most, is Tony Elliott. Tony Elliott is a offensive coordinator at Clemson, for those who don't know. He's 41. He looks much younger. Uh he started out his career at South Carolina State as a receivers coach, moved uh, to Furman as a receiver coach before being hired at Clemson as a running back coach. He then was a co-offensive coordinator and running back coach, and he is currently their offensive coordinator and running backs coach. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of experience. This is why I have him at the bottom of the list. There's no head coaching experience. There's very little outside of, you know, again, a small South Carolina state, a small Furman, and then coming into Clemson, you know, where it's hard to judge assistance because if he leaves, I doubt their offense drops off. Seriously, when you have a program that's so established and you have a process that's been created and the head coach is staying the same and he's still getting these top tier recruits, it's so hard to judge an offensive coordinator at that school when there's there's a likelihood that even when he leaves, it's the same, you know? So how much is he really in control of the offense? You know, what impact does he really have on running backs? You know, having Travis Etienne is not a hard thing to do as a running back coach. You know, the guy kind of handles it himself. Uh, but, you know, he's an interesting name. He definitely, I think they've already concluded the interview, to be honest with you, and I think they've already decided, but we'll get to that, you know, but Tony Elliott definitely was worth an interview. He's a younger guy. He's energetic. He's exciting. I'm sure he recruits well over there at Clemson. But again, he's my least likely candidate of the names I've heard seriously mentioned. Now, regarding seriously mentioned, the next name has definitely been thrown around a lot. And it's been thrown around kind of like a meme, to be honest. And it's there's some disingenuous people talking about it. But I've heard enough that I do think he got a courteous interview, a courtesy interview in respect for his experience and respect for what he's done for Auburn. And that's Kevin Steele. Uh, Kevin Steele is 62 years old. He's been a head coach before. His record is something absolutely abhorrent, though. It's like nine and 30 or something, nine and 40 or something. I don't want to misspeak, but it's, it's really awful. And, you know, the guy's a phenomenal defensive coordinator. He's a phenomenal man. He's another guy just like us. They're Auburn men. There's no doubt they're Auburn men. Uh, but you know, Steele, I don't know that that would be a wise choice for Auburn. Obviously we're already paying the guy and we're paying him more than any assistant. So his buyout's not going to be pretty either. If we do have to move on from him with a new staff, um, but I, I don't see, especially with this year, particularly where the defense did see a bit of a drop off. Now I'll tell you with that drop off. I mean, you lost guys like Derek Brown, you lost Marlon Davidson, Iggy, you know, you lost Thomas Denson. You lose all these, these stud guys and KJ Britt unexpectedly doesn't get to play for almost all of this season. And so it, it's not surprising to see a drop off for the defense, but there's some things from a scheme point, from um, a performance point that are still a little unacceptable at this point in the process. But that's all 
aside, I don't think Kevin Steele is incredibly likely unless Auburn just cannot agree on someone. They feel they have to pull the trigger and they end up taking a cheap option, maybe waiting another year or something. I don't know what good that would do them just to kind of keep an interim around. Auburn is in need of something much bigger for that, especially to salvage this recruiting class. But I think that is an option to consider. I would be absolutely upset if it happened. I do respect the guy, but uh, just throwing that name out there because it's been mentioned enough that he likely probably had uh, an interview at some point, at least out of respect, right? So moving on to our third option, Billy Napier. And this is a guy uh, I'm not incredibly high on. He is only 41, which is young in the head coaching sphere. Uh, He started at South Carolina State 2 just like uh, Tony Elliott. Uh, Then he moved on to Clemson, just like Tony Elliott, uh, where he worked with all kinds of groups. He worked with quarterbacks at one point, tight ends, receivers. He was the offensive coordinator. Um, He's been at Alabama. He's been at Colorado State. He's been at Arizona State. And now he's the head coach at Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns, in case you forgot. So with Billy Napier, this is an interesting guy. This is a guy who is a recruiting phenom. You know, granted, recruiting at Alabama and Clemson has become significantly easier and easier over the years, regardless of who's doing it. But he is credited with getting some of the biggest names that have come out of both of those schools in the recent years. Uh, he's got Louisiana playing at a really good clip. I believe they only have one loss. Uh, they've competed with some Power 5 teams here and there. So as far as a coach goes, as far as ability goes, I think Billy Napier is a guy that you have to be impressed with. I mean, he he's seriously a good coach. There's no question on that. Uh, your concerns come in with the fact that he's just not as energetic and exciting of a hire as what you would hope if you're moving on from Gus. He's a more kind of quiet guy. I mean, he can be intense, uh, which coach can't, but uh, whether or not he's that guy, you know what I mean? He's the guy that comes in and jazzes up the fan base and jazzes up the recruits. I don't know if that's the case. Uh, as a head coach, you have a pretty small sample size with his experience at Louisiana. And again, it's been good, but it's so hard to tell with these power fives. If you look at uh, Scott Frost that came out of UCF and went over to Nebraska, I, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I would have told you that should have been a good fit. I mean, really, it should have been something where there was no questions asked. It should have been he should have came in there. He should have innovated their offense. But you never know what problems a school has, and you never know how a coach is going to transition. Um, and it's not that, you know, Scott Frost is a bad coach, and it's not that Billy Napier would be either. You just don't know how they're going to gel. And more often than not, a guy does better transitioning from Power 5 to Power 5 then group of five to power five. Uh, now, the thing with Napier, he does bring in that Clemson experience. He does bring in that Alabama experience. You would hope he could bring that culture, that process, the methods they use. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the top two options we'll talk about here in a second are so divisive amongst the different powers that be that Napier kind of becomes the third default guy. And you could see this where, you know, okay, well, we're going to cut the baby in half because you guys can't decide from number one and number two. 
uh, the options that we'll discuss. So, you know what? Screw it. We take neither and we're going with Napier, you know, and, and I think he would still be an upgrade from a coaching standpoint at Auburn, but I don't know if he moves the needle enough to take Auburn from that top 10 recruiting range to that top five range. And it's a huge difference, guys. It really is. The difference between top five and top 10 is when you see us getting manhandled. And I mean that term. You see us getting manhandled in the trenches against teams like Georgia, against teams like Alabama. And honestly, even when we played, you know, smaller teams, we just have not developed uh, in the trenches well at all. Uh, And we'll get again to a coach that I think can do that really well. So our second highest option, uh, again, this was from least likely to most likely. So our fourth option, you have Hugh Freeze. Now, Hugh Freeze is interesting to me because he's probably the best pure coach on the list. If we were just looking at people based off of their ability to coach football, win football games, and, and you know potentially get you to that SEC championship level, it's probably Hugh Freeze out of our realistic options. You know, people keep wanting to throw Urban Meyer's name out there. I don't see that happening. People want to bring up Bob Stoops every year, regardless of what's happening at Auburn. Uh, again, I don't see that guy happening either, not to mention the fact that he really only won, you know, one national championship early, early in his career and then proceeded to just kind of coast nine, 10 wins every year. But anyway, I'm not getting into the Stoops stuff right now. But, you know, Hugh Freeze is an interesting guy. He's been in the SEC West before. We know the baggage that comes with him. And ultimately, that's the problem. Now, Rain, you know, the owner of Yellowwood, the yellow fella himself, the king of the yellow, whatever you want to call him, he's one of the biggest donors to Auburn football. And he has some of the deepest pockets in Auburn football, too. Uh, He is the biggest backer of Freeze right now. He wants Freeze. You know, and there's definitely some pressure if you're an athletic director, Alan Green, uh, and even the other powers that be to kind of comply with Rain. You know, you know that if you choose Hugh Freeze, who Rain wants, he's likely to give more in the future. Maybe you get a bigger budget for that football facility. Because right now, I'm telling you, what the plans they have for that football facility, I've seen no mock ups, but just based off the budget, it isn't enough. You know, you talk about the facilities arm race. You got old players like Alec Co- Alex Cozen on Twitter talking about how Auburn's facilities aren't there. Seriously, and he's not the only one. You got players coming out to tell you that our facilities are not up to par. And that's a big problem in recruiting. People don't understand how important that is. You know, we're about, it feels like 10 years behind on a football facility. I don't know when Clemson got theirs, but it's been at least five plus years. And we are maybe breaking ground. I mean, I've looked up stories and I've tried to find, but you can't see much on the progress. And there's not even a 3D module for us to look at yet. So, uh, model. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, Hugh Freeze is interesting. He's a great coach. You know, he beat Mama a few times while at Ole Miss. Uh, He had consistent success there despite it being a, a... an inferior program. It's harder to recruit there. It's harder to build there. There's not as much support, you know, financially. They don't have the same facilities as everybody else. Uh, 
and he still managed to have a good offense there. The one thing that's phenomenal about him that I think Auburn should be interested in is he's been able to develop and improve his offense over the years. He's never really gotten stagnant. You've never heard people say, oh, they figured out Freeze's tendencies or anything like that. You know, he gave coaches fits game in and game out. Uh, and at Liberty, he's been phenomenal. He's taken a no-name program and and made them one of the most talked-about teams this year. He took a quarterback that Auburn couldn't trust to throw a single pass uh, against, you know, trash time and against cupcake teams, and he's made that guy into a Heisman candidate. Seriously. You know, he won't get too much buzz because of the school he's at, but he took a former Auburn quarterback that we couldn't do anything with and made him an all-star. Uh, and, and Auburn needs that, you know. Maybe he freeze comes here and Malik transfers with him and then there's some quarterback controversy. Or maybe he comes here and he develops Bo. You know, he drills that footwork into Bo. And that's really, honestly, Bo stepping into his throws and being diligent about his footwork changes him from a 55, 56 percentage, uh, you know, completion all the way to a 65-70. I mean, seriously, the kid's got the arm to throw any pass in the game. He's got the legs. He's got everything you would need. He just needs a better offense, and he needs more consistent and 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 detail-oriented quarterback coaching. So, anyway, I think Hugh Freeze is an interesting option. He can obviously recruit well. The biggest problem there, and a few other podcasters have mentioned this, my boy J-Boy, I know, uh, talked about, it, the NCAA will be down your throat. And the problem with the NCAA on your back is that it's not just one sport. It's always going to be a deep dive audit once they actually get off their butt and go and look at something. Seriously. You know, they're never going to look at Alabama or Georgia because they just don't want to reveal that and lose their cash cows. But, you know, it, when they get somewhere, look at LSU right now. Seriously. You know, it started out with... Odell Beckham Jr. giving high fives and cash handshakes to people in the middle of the national championship celebration on national TV, you know, and the next thing you know, okay, well, oh, turns out there's a bunch of sexual assault allegations that they swept under the rug. Oh, you know, all of a sudden there's a problem with tennis. Oh, you know, basketball has been kind of sketchy for a minute. We're looking at that too. So the question is, if you bring in freeze, does the NCAA then decide to audit Auburn every single year. And again, that has consequences outside of football. You know, Bruce Pearl is already battling with the NCAA to free Sharif Cooper, Cooper, hashtag free Sharif. But, you know, if if you got freeze there, now the NCAA is really just going to set up office in Auburn and be down your throat all the time. And honestly, you can't recruit at the highest levels if that's the case. You really just can't. So this brings me to our number one choice, and I actually think this guy's already hired. I seriously do. I think they made this decision. I think that COVID has helped our old men in charge of Auburn realize, oh, wow, you can use technology to interview people instead of flying to Eugene and people tracking our flights because that's what Auburn fans do. So, you know, I think they've already decided. I think they've already interviewed almost everybody. Uh, I think they have, honestly. And I think Cristobal, Mario Cristobal is the guy. I think he's already hired. I think that he's known for a minute that this was probably in the works because Auburn doesn't move fast. And right now it sounds like they are. I mean, if former players are already being told who's chosen, I think it's done. I mean, really, you know, I, I don't think that 
some guy who played at Auburn decades ago is blowing smoke about knowing who he hired. He doesn't gain from that, seriously. Uh, but I think Mario Cristobal is the guy. I think that uh, some Auburn fans aren't going to be overly pleased with this hire. You know, there's some criticisms of him again. You know, they go, oh, well, Gus beat him. Again, you know, Gus beat Saban, but that doesn't mean you don't hire Saban. You know, Gus beat Hugh Freeze. That doesn't mean you don't hire Hugh Freeze. That is not a disqualifier. Uh, you know, they talk about some dud games he had this year. People don't understand. He lost a lot of talent to the pros. And not only did he lose all that, and he had a ridiculous, ridiculous amount of opt-outs this year. Auburn was fortunate to not really have many impactful opt-outs, but Oregon was ravaged with it this year. And there's there's a there's a slew of problems. Outside of that year, you can see a linear progression of him everywhere he's coached. You know, some people bring up the FIU issue. He inherited FIU after they'd already gotten into a lot of trouble. Uh, but, you know, he won a conference championship there, and he won a conference championship with Oregon. So the guy is a champion coach. I mean, seriously, you can argue it one way or another, but the dude has won a championship at the last two conferences he's coached in. I mean, you can't discredit that. Uh, he's an energetic guy. He's in shape. He looks like he lifts with the kids. Uh, he brings that alpha mentality. Seriously. He comes into an area where you got a bunch of alphas, and that's the SEC. I mean, you know, Mississippi State finished like crap, but Mike Leach is a big-name coach. Lane Kiffin is at Ole Miss. Nick Saban's out at Alabama. Jimbo Fisher's at Texas A&M. You know, Sam Pittman's made a name for himself at Arkansas. There's not a coach in the SEC West that you can sneeze at and count out. If you sleep on a single team in the SEC West, you can catch a loss. I mean it. Even LSU. You know, I think Coach O's a little overblown, and he got some extra boost from young guys like Joe Brady and Dave Aranda. But even then, they came up and popped Florida in the mouth because Florida was sleeping, and then they threw a shoe. But, you know, that's not for me to talk about. But I think Mario Cristobal is the guy. I think he's already hired. I think they got to announce it today, and they got to do so kind of early. He should already be on a plane over to Auburn recruiting tonight, ideally, because uh, there's kids to, to save in this class. And, you know, I, I got a list that we'll talk about, too, here in a moment of our commits and where they stand after this firing and even some of the guys that we're looking at getting still. Um, but I think Mario Cristobal is the guy, you know, he started at Miami. He's got good recruiting connections down in deep South Florida. That can't hurt. He's been up to Rutgers, uh, you know, that kind of New Jersey area. Then he came back to FIU, again, South Florida. He was at Alabama where he brought in ridiculous levels of recruits and big names. Uh, and then his first year as the head coach at Oregon, after replacing a coach, he was still able to manage the number three recruiting class in the country. The guy's phenomenal. Uh, you know, there are some things that you would have to do with him. One of those being that a defensive coordinator would be a huge, huge selection for him. He needs a great defensive coordinator. Uh and I think that, you know, you can either stay with Steel, which would be real popular with a lot of fans. Uh, but I think you could also look at either maybe T-Will knows his X's and O's enough to take over the defense. I know that T-Will is expected to be retained uh, just based off of his recruiting and a few other things. Uh, but I think Derek Mason is a name you got to look at. I'm really interested in, you know, former Vanderbilt head coach. You can make the jokes about him all you want, but the guy can coach a defense, man. He's one of the best defensive coordinators in all of college football. 
Uh, and so I think you got to look at him and either you take him or the Bama coaching rehab clinic will take him before you know it. So I would much rather him be in orange and blue than crimson and white. Uh, but I th- again, guys, get excited about Mario. I know that not everybody thinks he's the best choice. He's not that splash hire. I do think he brings in charisma to the program. I think he brings excitement and hope. I think that he'll help salvage this recruiting class as much as he can this late in the game. Uh, and we'll see what happens. I mean, it, it's always a, a gamble, but I do think it's a good choice by Auburn football. I do think we need to get behind it. I do think that, you know, recruits look at Twitter and if they see Auburn fans jazzed up about the hire, then I think that's going to help even a little bit. I mean, they do. These guys look for feedback. They get a pulse and, and don't be, don't be that Auburn fan. Don't be the one that was tweeting at Smoke Monday saying that these guys didn't try or give a damn. Because seriously, I, that's that's trash, guys, and that doesn't make us look good, and it just hurts the program. And and never tweet at recruits <laughs> if you don't know that rule by now. Uh, and I don't know how many of you are on Twitter, but don't it's it's not worth it. You don't gain anything from it. You know, if you if you see a piece of news or them say something, you can retweet it. But I think tweeting at them is just poor taste in, in most circles. But let's move on to recruits. So this will be our last little bit today. I've been talking real fast, so uh, the podcast isn't as long as I hoped. But I'm just excited, guys. I really am. For the first time in a while, I, I have some hope for next season. I'm excited about it. Uh regardless of kind of these names that were thrown out there, anybody other than Steele, which would be a just Auburn being Auburn kind of hire, uh, out of the five I mentioned, excites me in one way or another, and I think they're all improvements. Um, but let's talk about recruits, okay? So looking at who we got committed, you got four-star Lee Hunter is our highest-ranked recruit. Uh, he's a defensive tackle. He did open his commitment but stay committed, which I know is kind of weird. It's like telling your wife, hey, you know, I'm still married to you, but I'm going to let these other girls talk to me because, you know, I don't know. I like the way it feels. So I don't know. I don't, I don't get that concept, but it's all right. Uh, he still seems to be Auburn heavy. Uh, he likes some pro Auburn stuff, even after the Gus firing. I think we sit in a good spot with Lee Hunter still. Uh, four-star safety Amari Harvey's kind of the bad news from all this. He still expects to sign on Wednesday, but it's sounding like Florida and Texas A&M may be the leaders now. Uh, he's the one that kind of tweeted out, oh, I don't know what to do now. I don't know what to think. Da, da, da. Signing day might get interesting. Uh, I think we lose Amari Harvey. Uh, I don't think uh, a new coach coming in that hasn't been recruiting him already is going to be able to have an impact there. Uh, we'll see. You know, I, maybe he just loves Cristobal and, and respects him or Cristobal. I got to learn how to pronounce his name. Uh, but we'll see. I think we do lose Amari. Uh, you have four-star Demetrius Davis, or D, uh, quarterback from Texas. He's signing. He said he's enrolling early. He said nothing changed. He still loves Auburn, uh, and they gave him a chance. So that's great news. Uh, four-star offensive guard Jaden Roberts said he's still signing. No problem. Three-star wide receiver Hal Presley said he's still coming. Uh, three-star safety Philip O'Brien Jr. Uh, said he's still coming. Three-star offensive guard Garner Langlow, uh, he's still coming. Eric Wilson, the transfer from Harvard, uh, a lot of guys have a lot of positive views on him, think he's a legit NFL prospect. He isn't signing Wednesday, uh, but he's still committed. 
he's just waiting to see who the new coach will be. So maybe if we get a new coach in today, he'll change his mind and go ahead and sign. Uh, but uh, I'm really not sure what direction that will go. Um, but I do hope that we can keep him. Uh, Trevin Wallace is some bad news as well. Uh, he's one of the better linebackers that we've been recruiting. He is no longer signing on Wednesday, which makes sense. You know, Auburn was in the lead, and, and this is a big change for the kid. Uh, so he'll be signing in February, which is a rough, 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 rough decision for Auburn because if Florida comes in, and and they likely could because they might lose a guy to uh, Georgia, but if Florida comes in, uh, we likely have a hard time keeping Trevin. I, I don't know. Um, I haven't spoken with the kid. I haven't heard much on this, but I do know that we've been told, you know, if, if Florida made a push, Auburn would be in trouble. Well, now they got a lot more time to make a push, uh, but so do we. You know, I mean, maybe the new coach comes in and he gets jazzed up about it. We'll see. Uh, and really that's all the intel I have on the recruits. I think Armani Goodwin is still one to watch. It really depends on who gets retained. If we keep Cadillac, I think Armani's still in the conversation. You know, if you keep T-Will, I think that, you know, you're keeping Amari Harvey, the safety in question, uh, still keeping him interested. You're keeping Trevin interested. You're keeping Terrence Lewis interested, another uh, highly ranked linebacker. So I think, I think we'll be okay. I really do. Uh, you know, we're sitting at 41st. I think when you add these kids in that we should get, as well as maybe some surprise ones, I think we can still climb. I don't think we'll break the top 10, uh, regardless of who we hire, because it's just so late. Um, and, you know, the plan's always been to take a few grad transfers, uh, especially with this one-time transfer rule. You don't know. If you get a guy like Mario Cristobal, I mean, Oregon's far away, but theoretically all five of his offensive linemen can use this one-time transfer rule to come to Auburn. I mean, it'd be wild. <laughs> Again, that's not happening, but you don't know who could potentially come with who and vice versa. You know, you don't know who from Auburn could go, you know, I'm really here for Gus. He's not here anymore and I'm upset, so I'm not going to be here, you know, and, and that could be interesting, um, but we'll see. Let me know what you guys think. Thank you for tuning in again to the first episode of Barning Nights Roundtable. Feel free to follow me on Twitter. We can chat anytime. Um, at Barning Night is the handle. Uh, I appreciate you guys so much for tuning into this first time. Uh, please subscribe. Look forward to more. Uh, I would like to do this once a week. I'll definitely make an emergency one if and when we decide or announce a new head coach. Uh, but thank you guys. As always, Ward Am Eagle. Uh, keep up the good fight and uh, peace.